Good morning. I took uh, extra care to organize my space well up here. I know it's not my strong suit. But... I was handed a sheet of paper this year uh, in St. Louis, and it had six blank boxes on it. What am I supposed to do with this? I asked. Make a timeline, was the reply. Of what? Well, of your life. What would be on your paper if you had six boxes to summarize your entire life? What would make the cut, and how would you decide? Doubtless there would be one or two events that, that come to mind pretty quickly. Those are things that you would include in any timeline. I call those the, I remember where I was when this happened moments. Before his 200-meter race this week, Usain Bolt was interviewed, and he said he didn't just want to win the race. He wanted to have a performance where you'd remember where you were when it happened. One of those moments where something so dramatic occurs that, that you can recall every detail of it as if it was yesterday. The birth of a child. The death of a loved one. The moon landing. 9-11. Events that imprint themselves on your mind forever. We find just such an event this morning described in Mark 1, chapters, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Recall that, that Jesus had just begun his ministry. He called Peter, Andrew, James, and John from their boats, and now he starts teaching. He enters Capernaum, and on the Sabbath, he walks into their synagogue. What happens next is one of those I remember where I was when this happened moments for everyone in the room. Follow along with me as we read Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Pray with me this morning. Father, we acknowledge that unless you open our ears by your Spirit, these are just words. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. You'd give us eyes to see what you're doing. I pray that you would speak this morning and that we would be moved by your truth. I pray this in Jesus Christ's holy name. 
And all God's people said, Amen. I remember where I was three weeks ago when I woke up to read that a neuroscience student had opened fire in a Colorado movie theater. Reporters competed with each other to broadcast the latest numbers of how many had fallen. Ten dead, said the initial report. Now it's up to 14. Now it's corrected to 12. Experts in their respective fields were called in to add their two cents to the conversation. Why did this happen? How could a seemingly bright student fall so far? What can be done to ensure this never happens again? A dozen different proposals were made, each claiming that this fall could have been prevented if only such and such had happened. I remember one reporter, angry and upset, yelling that every time a tragedy like this happens, we talk about changes in policy, but we can't seem to stem the tide of horrific events. He dreams of living in a world where truly horrific moments, like the one experienced in Colorado, are a thing of the past. Sadly, this, this doesn't seem to be the reality. Every morning we wake up and we read of another tragedy, a hurricane, a murder, a fire, a flood. We share our lives with people who, like us, are suffering the effects of living in a fallen world. A job lost, the death of a family member, a new disease, the dissolution of a marriage. No amount of policy change seems capable of stemming that flood. Because the fact is, we live in a fallen world. The effects of sin are inescapable. The world God created as perfect Man has broken. Sin entered the world through Adam, the first man, and since then, the world has been under its terrible curse. And the effects are streamed 24-7 on the daily news. They're seen every day in our lives and in the lives of people we know. So in the face of such a fallen world, to what can we cling? What hope is there for us who will spend every waking moment whether we like it or not, in this world. What hope do we have that things can change? That the darkness doesn't last forever? Again, to what can we cling? Well, folks, this morning we stand powerless to face the overwhelming darkness alive in this world. But there is one before whom the darkness cannot stand. On whose authority the effects of this fallen world are turned back. One who has promised new life to all who would cling to him. So I propose to you that because Jesus has come in authority, we must cling to him. What does it mean that Jesus comes in authority? How does this empower us to cling to him? Well, this passage shows us that Jesus coming in authority looks like three things. First, it means Jesus confronts with his words. Second, he confirms with his actions. And third, he conquers his enemies completely. So first, Jesus confronts with his word. In verses 21 and 22 we read, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. It's strange to me that Mark would take the time to note how the people responded 
to Jesus' teaching, but he wouldn't say a word about what that teaching was. We have no mention of the content, only that the people were amazed. And it's important to note here that the Greek word translated amazed means to shock one's senses or even repulse. This isn't amazed in the way that we're amazed when we see a good fireworks display or when we watch the Olympics. The people were shocked by Jesus' words, even repulsed. Why? Well, because he was setting himself up as a new authority on Scripture. It's important to note these weren't faithless people that Jesus was speaking to. These people met week after week in the synagogue to hear the word of God read aloud and to discuss it. During the discussion, they would have teachers of the law whose job it was to interpret the scriptures by reading what was written by the rabbis who came before them. Jesus comes, and instead of consulting the rabbis before him, he consults himself. This shocked the people that were gathered to hear God's word. And it's ironic. It's ironic that they were gathered to hear God's word, and yet they sat in the presence of God's word made flesh, and they didn't recognize him. They met week after week, spending hours with the word, meditating on it, memorizing it, becoming familiar with it, and yet when it showed up in their presence, they were shocked by it. Could it be that there's a difference between simply reading the Word of God and actually listening to it? Is there a difference between observing the Word and being confronted by it? Eugene Peterson wrote an essay about an island of shipwrecked people. As time goes on, the descendants of the shipwrecked people lose all knowledge that they once had a home outside the island. They forget that they're stranded. Their world becomes only what they can see on the island around them. Schools pop up that only educate students on the workings of everything from the eastern to the western shore. No one ever leaves the island because no one ever thinks to. One day a green bottle washes up on shore and a boy picks it up. He pulls out a note and he reads, help is coming. The note shocks him. It's so mysterious. He has lost all knowledge of ever needing help, of ever needing rescue, and he knows of no one on the island who currently needs help. Days go by and another bottle washes ashore, and it says help will arrive soon. Don't give up. Two bottles is not an accident, so he brings the bottle to a friend and they discuss it. The news is shocking to the friend. Time goes on and other bottles wash up. New messages from beyond the shore. Notes about somewhere else, a new reality, a bigger reality. And an awareness starts to grow among a small group of the islanders that maybe there's truth buried in these words. Maybe they are stranded. And they sense it in their hearts that they're cut off from that life that they dream of. And Peterson concludes the story by saying, Most mornings on the island, on many of its beaches, there are people walking Wonderingly attentive, looking for bottles with a message in them. On Sunday mornings, they gather on some assigned beaches and read to each other what has been collected over the years. 
A lot of people on the island have yet to figure out what all the fuss is about. Well, we live in a world where the majority have yet to figure out what all the fuss is about. We inhabit a world that looks to us, to those of us on the island, like it's running on its own, like it's all by itself. Like this world is all there is. And we've outgrown our need for religion. Science is unlocking the mysteries of the universe, and and in time we will have no need for creator myths to explain what we previously thought was unexplainable. Left to ourselves, we are quick to forget that this island is not our home. That there is more to life than the eastern and western shores. So God sent his word to us, pieces at a time, to confront us and shake us awake to his reality. The stories of Adam, Noah, and Abraham, of Moses and God's dealing with the Israelites, of the prophets sent by God to confront a forgetful and obstinate people, and a faithful minority of the island's residents would gather together and share these words. But we are more gifted than the islanders in Peterson's tale at ignoring these words. We have received these bottles and still we grow dull to their truth. We stop listening. The words are read and we close our ears. I've heard this one before. I know this story. It's old news. The words cease to seem alive. And we've turned them into nothing more than dead letters. So God sent his word again. This time in a living, breathing, working, sweating, worshiping, suffering, tangible body. And this word, more than any other, shocked the people who heard it. This word speaks, they said, and with authority. And they were offended. Well, the same word spoken to them is speaking to us. Jesus is not dead. He lives. And he speaks. Some of his words appear here in his word. Are you listening? Are you allowing these words to confront you, to condemn you, to encourage you, to change your direction? Or have you heard them all before? Have we turned the living word of God into dead letters? If so, this morning, know that the word is still speaking. If we would humbly open it up and listen to it. Jesus is still confronting us with his words if we would take them seriously. It is by the power of the Spirit that Jesus spoke. And that same Spirit is at work in us today, opening our ears to understand his words. So pray that God would open our ears to hear again his words of life and to cling fiercely to the speaker of these words. But Jesus' authority does not stop at words. Which leads us to our second point. Jesus confirms with his actions. We read in verses 23 to 28, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with the shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? 
a new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Well, at the beginning of our passage, Jesus spoke and people were told they were amazed at what he said, shocked, repulsed. Now we see Jesus take action by exercising a demon. And again, we read that the people were amazed. But this time the word is different. The Greek word translated amazed here means astounded, to overwhelm with wonder. Jesus had confronted those in the synagogue with his words, claiming an authority that shocked his listeners, and now he was confirming that authority with his actions. By his actions, he confirmed that his words were true. But we see that played out every day. Most of us have been taught at one time or another that our actions speak louder than our words. I remember the frustration I felt my first semester uh, spent down at a center for homeless youth in Spokane, and week after week I'd make my way there, and week after week I'd watch as the other volunteers had deep, meaningful relationship, deep, meaningful conversation with the kids, and I was talking about the weather. And I didn't mind keeping things light, but eventually it came to a point where I thought, my time might be better spent elsewhere. One week after we closed, I approached one of the full-time staff members. I told him I was frustrated. I hadn't developed many significant relationships with the kids, and I asked him for advice. What do I say? I asked. Doesn't really matter, he said. I asked what he meant by that. 90% of this job, he said, is just showing up. The kid probably won't remember much about your conversation today. He's waiting to see if you show up next week. Because our actions speak louder than our words. Jesus can say whatever he wants, but every word that Jesus spoke is worthless if he didn't confirm the truth by his actions. Many men throughout history have claimed to be God or the Son of God. And almost every one of them is a liar. Jesus spoke in the synagogue at Capernaum, and those listening were offended. Here comes another one, they thought. But then he acted. He exercised a demon, not with an incantation or with a special dance, but on the authority of his words alone. And in that action, he confirmed the truth of what was heard. And the people went from being repulsed to being astounded. Uh, but unless we're tempted to let that truth remain too distant, let us also be reminded that our actions will confirm the truth of our words too. Will we allow the words of Jesus to confront us, to challenge us, to change our direction? Oh, absolutely, for sure, definitely then let our actions show it. Show me your faith without deeds, writes James, but I will show you my faith by what I do. If you would be confronted by the truth of God's words, let it be confirmed by the actions of your life. As you cling to Jesus, our only hope is salvation in this fallen world. But I can't do that, you say. My actions don't always prove the truth of my words. I believe, but I struggle. Where's the hope in this? 
Well, our fact, our hope is in the fact that, that what God has spoken, He has confirmed in His actions. And because of what He has done, we can have confidence in our salvation. Our actions have earned us nothing. All of our righteousness is as dirty rags before God. But Jesus has come in authority, lived a perfect life we could never live, and has offered His sinless life to us if we would give up the broken, dirty, fallen one that we cling to. Those who come to Him, He has promised to never turn away. And we know this promise is true because He confirms His words with His actions. Romans 8 asks, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Take heart. What God has said in His word, He confirms with His actions. His promises are true. So far, we've seen that because Jesus has come in authority, we must cling to Him. He's our only hope of salvation in this fallen world. And we've looked at what it means that Jesus comes in authority. And we've seen that He first confronts with His words, and then He confirms those words with His actions. Which leads us to our final point, and that is, Jesus conquers His enemies completely. We've seen Jesus enter the synagogue and claim a new authority for Himself. And we've seen this authority confirmed by his actions in exercising the demon. But what's the purpose? What's his angle? Mark is adamant at the outset of the gospel that the authority of Jesus be established. But for what? Ironically, it's the demon who gives us the best indication of where all this is headed. In verse 24 we read, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In these words, the demon lets us know that Jesus has come to conquer his enemies and to conquer them completely, to destroy them. The demon opens with a question, what do you want with us? The demon doesn't ask, what do you want with me? Because it recognizes that that Jesus' mission goes far beyond One single demon in Galilee. Jesus has come to deal with all the powers of darkness. And the demon knows it. This is confirmed in the demon's next question. Have you come to destroy us? One scholar comments that this isn't a question, but a statement of fact. It could just as easily be read, You have come to destroy us. And the meaning would not be changed. Jesus has come to conquer and to conquer completely. He will not negotiate. He will not make concessions. He has come in full authority to destroy the powers of darkness and redeem the effects of the fall. He is the Holy One of God and there is no other. It's interesting that the demon would then name Jesus. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And in wrestling with why the demon would see fit to name Jesus, I came across an interesting piece of history. In the time of Jesus, men were much more likely to acknowledge the existence of spiritual beings, and it was commonly believed that one could gain control over a spirit by naming it. Once named, it must submit to the authority of the one who named it. Thus, it makes sense to see the demon's last line as a challenge. I know who you are, Jesus. I have named you. I have established my authority over you. 
And what is Jesus' reply? Be quiet. The term is forceful in the Greek. Shut up would be a fair translation. Zip it. The authority of the demon, so powerful in our world, so powerful over the man he possessed, is nothing before Jesus. There is no parallel in this world. Presidents can be impeached. Dictators, we've seen, can be overthrown. Only Jesus can stare the powers of darkness in the face and say, enough. Be silent. And it is this authority, an authority that confronts us in his words, an authority that he confirms with his actions that guarantees the complete destruction of his enemies. Because of this, we can cling confidently to Christ, knowing that his word is final. The destruction of our enemies is sure. There are no question marks at the end of history. We know who wins. And how do we know? Well, because Jesus' actions confirm his words. And his mission to destroy the powers that stand against him will prevail. But what about now? What about the fact that I look around me and I see a world that looks like the darkness reigns victorious? Sinful people prosper. The greedy thrive. Death is a reality. I struggle to follow Christ faithfully. Temptation finds me at every turn. The truth is, the kingdom that Jesus sought to establish is still a work in progress. The kingdom began as a mustard seed in Galilee, and while it grows, it is not yet the shady tree that it will be. It will continue to grow until the day that Jesus returns, and then the kingdom will be complete. Pain and death will be no more. And the tragedies that smash holes in the fabric of our lives today will cease. Hunger, death, disease, pain, divorce, murder, hatred, destruction, these will be things of the past. And how can we be sure? Well, because God sent his word to us 2,000 years ago in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. And this man walked among the people of earth, teaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He made shocking claims and he confirmed them with his actions. He foretold of the redemption of this world and the destruction of the powers of evil. And he backed up his statements by destroying powers of evil wherever he went. He cast out demons. He drove back sickness and disease. He fed the hungry. He restored the eyes of the blind. He waged war on the powers of darkness every day of his life. A war that reached ahead at the cross. And for three days, it appeared that the darkness had finally won. Christ's body lay dead in a tomb. But he predicted these events long before his death. He claimed that he would rise again on the third day. And once again, his actions confirmed his words. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, having conquered death removing its victory and its sting. He promised that one day he would return, and on that day we will see then what we see now just as a shadow, and it will be clear as day. We're empowered by the Spirit to believe these words because we've seen what happens when Jesus makes promises. His kingdom is advancing. We see it every time a child of man humbles himself 
and submits to the king of kings. We see it every time a daughter turns from following the ways of the world and clings to the only one with the authority to forgive her sins and to declare her forgiven. The kingdom of God is advancing every day, faster now than at any point in human history. So come and let us be confronted by the words of God. Let us see it confirmed in the actions of Christ. And let us take heart knowing that the one we cling to is mighty to save. And he will conquer completely the darkness of this fallen world. Let's pray. Father, your words are are shocking when we truly listen to them. I pray today and I pray this week, Lord, that we would be shocked by what you have to say. I pray that you would give us, by the Spirit, the faith to believe them, to see what Christ has done, and to come confidently to you, knowing that what you promise and what you say is always true, that there is no power that stands against you. Restore our souls this morning, Lord. Give us confidence. Give us faith in you. And advance your kingdom through us, Lord. I pray in Jesus Christ's holy name and all God's people said, Amen.